started talking about the Thrive Tribes and started about the Marriage Tribes and all that, and I started getting a little bit excited. So the Thrive Tribes, I will tell you, they're starting this week, and anybody pumped besides me and Patty? Me and Patty. How's <laughs> Patty back there yelling? <laughs> So Thrive Tribes are starting. They're this week so excited, and there's a whole bunch of them. If you don't know what that is, just ask Patty. She's the one that was yelling back there in the back. Clearly, she's got some enthusiasm about it, and she'll tell you all about it. Thank you, Patty, for that enthusiasm, because I feel like you yelled just right then. <laughs> so welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Thrive Community Church. Thank you for being here on Labor Day. I know that uh, you could have been on the lake. You could have been fishing, you could have been, you know, doing something different, but you're right here. And if you're online, thank you for joining us, even though you are on the lake and fishing. So, and uh, we miss you. Come back, come back as soon as you can. We miss you. And Pastor, if you're watching, come back. We miss you real bad. So, um, welcome. And I'd like to say just real quick, welcome to my family. Got my family from North Carolina right here and all the other side in North Carolina. And I didn't tell them that in Texas that anything north of the Rio Grande is considered Yankees and almost Canada, but, but welcome for you guys are being here. But then I want to say this too, welcome. My mom's here, my son's here, my grandbabies, there's four generations of us right here. Thank you all for being here. It just makes a guy happy when he looks out there and sees his family covering him. And then when they get home, they'll tell me anything I didn't do right during this sermon. So, you know, you start looking for some critiques. Ask your grandbabies. So last time I spoke, I, um, someone spoke to my grandbaby, said, hey, hey, Papa spoke, how do you do? And their answer was, he talked about himself a lot. So, so I will tell you, grandbabies, I'll try not to do that so much today. But hey, welcome, glad that you're here. And the Thrive Tribe things, like I mentioned, the couple that were up here on the screen, that was Sergio and Destiny. And Sergio is the one who got baptized this morning. And if you missed that, Go back and watch that because Sergio's here and the men are surrounding him and praying over him. But his smile's the size of Montana. And he's just smiling the whole time. And that's just who he is. And so those are the kind of people. They were in our marriage tribe too and built relationships with them. So I would encourage you, really look into the Thrive Tribe thing. Look into building relationships. There's a whole bunch of them that'll fit different times. But come be a part of that. So this morning, we're starting a new series and the pastor allowed me to kick it off. And our new series that we're going to throw up on the screen, throw it up there right there. So the grace of God is what we're going to talk about. And the pastor is going to take us through the next few weeks just talking about grace and understanding what the grace of God is. And I'm really pumped about here. And I've, I've heard a little bit from our pastor and uh, where he's going, the direction he's going with that sermon. But I'm pumped about hearing that. So I'm going to invite you to come be part of that. If you're visitors to the church... I'm not the pastor, I'm the, actually a production pastor, so normally I'm over on the keyboard having a great time worshiping, but our pastor will be back next week, and he'll be uh, taking us through that series. But I get the opportunity to start us, and we're going to talk about what is mercy versus grace. So our pastor's going to take us through this, what is the grace of God, but we're going to start off today by talking about the mercy side of things, because you know there's a difference between mercy and grace. So we're going to talk about that. And let's just jump right in. So they all, one of the things that uh, was also mentioned to me is you take your glasses off a lot. And I said, well, it's for dramatic effect. But really, it's not because of that. It's because I'm old and I can't see things this close. And then when I look this close and look up at you, I can't see you. So just know that, that it's not dramatic effect. It's really what I'm trying to do to see things here. So we're going to start uh, in the book of Matthew. And let me tell you about Matthew. Matthew, you know, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
gospel meaning good news, but Matthew was a tax collector. And so we think about tax collectors, and we don't think of tax collectors the way that tax collectors were viewed in the day. Tax collectors of the day were known as and accepted as thieves of money. They were just known as that. So if you were a tax collector, you were the guy that nobody liked to see you coming, but you were just known as corrupt individuals. So those tax collectors came in and collected the tax, scraped a little off for themselves, and so your taxes might be based on what the, what the government was asking for at the time, or maybe it was based on you needing to, to pad your pockets a little bit. So the question is clearly, why would God allow a tax collector who's known as not being a good guy to write about the life of Jesus? Why would God allow that? Well, very clearly, I think it is this. I think it is the Lord wants to show us that he wants to use us regardless of who we are. And somebody in the house say amen to that. So the Lord wants to use us regardless of our past. The Lord wants to use us regardless of our foolish mistakes and choices that we've made in the past. And I think that this picture of Matthew being one of the writers of the Gospels proves just that. That you don't have to have a perfect past to be used by God. And again, somebody needs to say amen to that. It's okay to say amen in the house of the Lord. It's okay to be talk back to me. Amen? There it is right there. So you, get, you already did it once. Now you do it throughout the whole sermon. It's okay. So the Lord allowed Matthew to write and scribe the things that he saw with Jesus and his interpretation of that. And, and, and the Lord allows us, regardless of our past, to be used by them, to be used by him. So Matthew chapter 5 starts off the Sermon on the Mount. And most people would say the Sermon on the Mount is this incredible combination of this just, just explaining what the Lord wants with us, for us, and through us. So the Sermon on the Mount goes three chapters. And this sermon that Jesus spoke is three chapters long. It's chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Pretty important if the Lord gives that much space in the Word to it. But he starts off this Sermon on the Mount by, t- by speaking of what are called the Beatitudes. We've heard of the Beatitudes, and they all start with blessed are, and we've heard that term blessed are. But that term that we use blessed are is a little different than where we use it now. So when we say someone's blessed, a lot of times the connotation that we give to the word blessed has to do with things, has to do with stuff, has to do that I'm blessed because I have a great family, has to do with blessed because I have a great home and, and I have my car's not broken down and my dog didn't bite anybody this week sort of thing. So we had this blessed life because we have kind of stuff. Or, or maybe our team's doing really, really well. And I mentioned this in the first service is the you know, cowboy season's coming up. Can I hear somebody in the house? No. <laughs> that was different than the first service. So we're super excited. Clearly, the only one in the house. Super excited about the Cowboys starting. Well, at least for the first couple of games. And then <laughs> we all know where it goes after that. <laughs> but that's not this word blessed that we're talking about. This word bless isn't stuff. This word bless isn't being happy. This word bless isn't being um, of having something that makes me happy. The word bless right here has to do with a soul condition. And the soul condition meaning that it is content. Now let that sink in just for a second. Contentment of the soul doesn't always have to do with stuff. Contentment of the soul means that regardless of stuff... In fact, some of the Beatitudes are blessed are those who mourn or blessed are those who meek or who are meek. 
So if we're saying blessed are those who mourn, that's not really a place in life where things are really going very well, right? So if you're mourning, then something has, has gone outside of what you would want it to be. So the contentment of soul or blessed soul hasn't anything to do with stuff, hasn't anything to do with having things kind of go your way, if you will. So in these Beatitudes, in this beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus started this sermon with the, the, these Beatitudes. He goes down through theirs, but he goes to one that we're going to spend a little bit of time on this morning. He says, blessed are the merciful. So he speaks in this section about blessed are the merciful. So to me, as I'm thinking blessed are the merciful, it's blessed are those who, who, who's had, but we've had mercy on us. But that's not it. Blessed are the merciful or blessed are the ones who give mercy. So content of soul, where you're supposed to be and joy in your life is based on giving mercy. So I don't know, I've got three brothers and my cousins here, he knows that they were all mean as rattlesnakes. Not me, I was a good kid. But there were all these times where we would grab, you know, you grab hands like this. And, you know, you remember this where you would turn and you're ah, out mercy. You know, you give up. So... Am I the only one who did that? No, but you were too? Yeah, brothers, yeah. A couple of us older guys, right? So that's not what it is. That's not that mercy. The mercy is not just the giving up. The mercy is the area of forgiveness. But in this chapter, in these, in these beatitudes, that blessed are the merciful. Let me get my notes right here. Make sure I don't get ahead of Yvette back there. The, the Webster's defines mercy like this. It says compassion, mercy is compassion, or kindly forbearance shown towards an offender, keep that in your mind, or an enemy, or another person in one's power. The word forbearance, we don't really use that word a whole bunch, so let me just tell you, that word means giving a pass to. You're giving a pass to a person who doesn't deserve it. So now back to that thing, that, that definition, compassion, <coughs> compassion, or kindly giving a pass to an offender, an enemy, or a person in one's power. Here, how about this definition of mercy? Not giving someone what they deserve. So that definition of mercy is someone, if it says an offender, then someone's offended me. Someone does something that has offended me. So that, that idea of justice is that they deserve for something to be done back to them because something was done to me. But this idea of mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because the pastor is going to spend a lot of time in the next couple of weeks on this. But the idea of grace is the opposite. So mercy is, I'm not given what I deserve. And from a spiritual perspective, what I deserve because of sin is hell. But mercy because of Jesus Christ means I don't get what I deserve. Anybody to have say an amen to that one. I'm not getting, because I know me and you know you, I'm not getting what I deserve. But grace is the opposite. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, meaning I deserve because of who I, who I have been because of sinful nature in my life. I deserve things not to go quite so well for me, but the Lord doesn't give me what I deserve. In fact, the Lord gives me something I don't deserve. And so keeping that idea and that contrast, because we say mercy and grace, and it's almost like we use those two words and just in conjunction with each other, and they really don't mean the same thing. So in understanding grace, in understanding what the Lord gave us, and understanding who the Lord is to us in the area of grace, we have to understand what he didn't do and the mercy extended to us 
related to the mercy side of things. So, would you agree that we live in an unmerciful world? Yes, yeah. Would you agree that we live in a world that not much mercy is extended? Would you agree that the world that we live in, the society, the way it's developed, and especially, especially now, that we live in this society that if you do something or you say something that offends me, then there's almost this social media crucifixion or media crucifixion. So we don't live in a place where mercy is extended. It's, it's, mercy is really counterculture right now. When somebody does something that offends me, well, then I'm just going to go get them, tiger. So we don't live in a world. But doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to be different than the world? Doesn't the Bible say that we're supposed to not look like the world? Doesn't the Bible tell us that if we are like the, like the Lord wants us to be, then there's going to be a contrast of who we are and who the world is? So it starts with this idea of extending mercy. Now, let me just tell you, I, I don't think that this whole idea of division is just an evolution of culture. I don't think that that's the way it worked. I don't think that culture has, has developed into such a way that we're divided. I think the enemy is very crafty. And first off, he hates us and he hates who we are, especially walking with the Lord and those of us who seek to do what the Lord wants us to do. So I think he, he's, he's done this thing and he's whispering in your ear, did, did you hear what they said? Did, did, did you hear what she said about you? Do, you? do you know what she thinks about who you are? And so we have this divided world. We have this divided world of Republicans versus Democrats. We have this divided world of, of ethnicities versus ethnicities. Ages against ages, generations against generations. And those old people, they don't get it. Well, those young punks, they don't get it. So there's this divide there. There's also this divide of vaxxed versus non-vaxxed. And we allowed it to divide us. So the enemy, I think, if he keeps us divided, if he keeps us looking at each other, and we looking at, we're looking at the things of somebody who looks different than me and acts different than me and walks in a different path than I walk in, then I'm pointing at what they're doing that's not like me rather than who the Lord says we should be. We should be for people. So yeah, we're against sin, but we're for people. And so as we seek to be for people, we're looking for this area of extending mercy to each other. There's a passage I can't wait to get to that I'm dying to tell you about now, but I'm going I'm to be patient here. But this counterculture, that we are to be counterculture throughout related to this idea of mercy. So the, the obvious question is, well, how do we do that? Well, I think, well, yeah, let me tell you this. So this dude walks in uh, to his hangout spot with all of his buddies, and he's got this thing on his chest, and you can tell that his chest is, you know, kind of something big on his chest. And I hang right what you got on chest right there? He says, you know, Steve, Steve walks in this place, and every time I come in, Steve just, he point, he pokes me on the chest and slaps me on the chest, and, and, and I'm tired of it. Well, well, what are you going to do? He said, I got dynamite right here. So when he slaps me on the chest, I'm going to get his hand. Well, clearly that whole idea is absurd, but that idea that when we're trying to be less than merciful to each other, you know who it harms? What harms me? The forgiveness that I don't extend, it wells up in me and has a bitterness in me. So being counterculture, and how do we do that? Well, the ways to be merciful are, are pretty simple, and that is we remind ourselves of how merciful God was to me. 
Can I say that again? In order for me to be merciful, I need to remind myself how merciful God was to me. Jesus talks in the Lord's Prayer, and he taught him to pray. And he said, pray like this. And he's not saying, say these words. You know, it's not the rote, liturgical thing. It's this idea of prayer. It's this, this, this posture of prayer. When he says this thing about debts, when he said, pray like this, Lord, forgive our debts, not just that, but listen, he goes on to say, as we forgive our debtors. Now let that sink in for a moment. So if I forgive, can you imagine waking up in the morning and starting this morning and tomorrow morning and the day after that, starting this idea of saying, Lord, today I want you to forgive me just like I forgave everybody yesterday. You, he said that's how you should pray. So in order to pray that way, I've got to, I have to embody that, right? So he's, what he's trying to teach us is to extend mercy to other people. He's trying to teach us this concept of because you were forgiven so much, forgive others. It's a way of living. It's a mindset. It's a thought process. And look, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's easy, but it is easier if I can remember how much the Lord did for me. This idea of debt that he's talking about here, this word debt, we use the word debt like, I owe Jesus $15 here. Well, it's my debt. No, this word debt here is unpayable. And close, this word debt is more closely used in our society as, as a bankruptcy. So in a bankruptcy, meaning I could never pay that back. I could work 10 jobs, but I would never be able to pay it back. That's what he's talking about. This bankruptcy, forgiving my bankruptcy because there's nothing I could do to take care of this debt no matter what I did all my life. He's saying, pray, Lord, forgive me my bankruptcy as I forgive those who have tried to bankrupt, bankrupt me. And this concept, if I can remember the bankruptcy he forgave me from, then it's easier for me to extend that. Also, remembering uh, where we came from and how much we have been forgiving, forgiven, we also need to remember that we'll face God one day. Now, in, uh, if you've known me for any amount of time, you know I was in education for a lot of years. We had this thing called the STAR test in Texas, all the teachers in the house. <sighs> we have this thing, and it's a state-mandated test, and this is a pretty big test because it decides if a student does well on this test, a lot of times it can decide that they go on to the next grade. It can decide, a lot of times it decides funding for the school. It can decide you know, a teacher's job a lot of times. So it's a pretty big test. And I don't know about you, but there were some times I opened up some tests and I looked at it and I went, huh, I, I, I don't remember her talking about that. <laughs> and I, this test, no, there's not. But then there's other times I open up and go, yeah, yeah, I kind of vaguely familiarly remember that. This concept that, about the STAR test is where the teachers and the educators are preparing them for this pretty big test that takes place once a year. But let me be clear, and this, here's the hard part about this, but yet the very direct part about this, that there's a test coming for us too. There's a test coming for us as, as believers in this area of mercy. There's a test coming for us in extension of mercy. And let me show you what the scripture says related to that. Um, 
so in that that kind of, uh, that that uh, the Lord's prayer of mercy, and He says, you know, forgive our debts. But He goes on after that. And there's only one little part of that prayer that He teaches. There's one little part that He goes and says, hey. You know that thing? Can we talk about that just a little bit more? So if the Lord mentions it here and then goes on to give some commentary after that, I would say it, it, it behooves us to listen to that a little bit. So at the end of this, verse 14, he says, if you forgive, now he just said that whole debt thing, forgive your debtors, uh, forgive me my debts, I forgive the debtors. If you forgive those who sin against you, the heavenly father will forgive you. So it's an if-then statement. In education, we talk about in, in English world, we talk about the uh, if-then statement. If this happens, then this happens. If this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen. So what he's saying right there, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Verse 15, he goes and flips it the other direction and says this, but if you refuse to forgive others, here's the hard part. Here's the test that's coming up. Your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, that's difficult to hear. But, you know, as, as long as we speak the Word of God, then we'll let the Word of God speak for itself. And so I don't necessarily have to give that commentary, but that's pretty black and white, the if-then part of that. So down in Matthew 18, there's so much going on. Remember Matthew the tax collector I mentioned earlier? Down in Matthew 18, you remember that whole thing about um, Peter saying, should we forgive seven times? Remember that whole thing? Chapter 18 of Matthew, he says, Should, so seven times, like, somebody did me wrong. Again, the implication there is something was done wrong. It's not, it's not an interpretation of was it wrong or not, but something was done wrong. Should I forgive him seven times for doing me wrong? And what does Jesus say? No, a little more than that. And he says 70 times seven, because he's not talking about a number. He's not talking about 490 times. And even if he was, if we do that 70 times seven once in a day and you do the math, that's once every three minutes. So should I forgive seven times today? No, the Lord says you should forgive all day long. And so Jesus is saying that getting this idea of forgiveness is pretty important. And then as Pastor Nathan covered in that same chapter a couple of weeks ago, he covered this, this, the, the master who calls a servant in and he owes this, this unpayable debt. And the master forgives him. That's also in chapter 18. But then that same guy goes out and gets somebody else for owing him a much lesser amount. pastor just covered that. But at the end of that passage, it says this thing. The master says, so he goes back and gets him and says, I forgave you billions of dollars, basically. You wouldn't forgive a very small amount of money. So he calls him back in and he says this phrase. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? just as I had mercy on you. So if I can remember, first off, that the Lord had this incredible amount of mercy on me, then it's easier for me to give that back to each other or to the people who uh, have done me wrong. But what if, y'all, what if, what if the goal we had was to stand in front of the Lord and have had too much mercy? Do you think there's gonna be a time that the Lord goes, all right, Pastor Terry, you gave too much mercy today. That's too much. You loved a little too much today. I don't think that we're in danger of that. So what if our goal was to err on the side of having too much mercy? What if our goal was to err on the side of having too much forgiveness? What if when the test comes and we're all gonna have it, 
Christian Reed, come to the altars, Christian Reed. Stand, you know. and, and I stand in front of the Lord, and there's that assessment of my deliverance of mercy. And there's that assessment of my deliverance of forgiveness. And what if I sought to go too far in the area of mercy and forgiveness? Would we look different than the world right now? And if, if Thrive Community Church sought to be those people who gave too much mercy, too much forgiveness, wouldn't the people who need mercy, wouldn't they feel comfortable on the rows here? And what if we were a place that regardless of how you'd lived in the past, you were comfortable in any row in this place? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine the, the healing that would take place in this hospital? Yeah, because the Lord says we're to be a, a hospital for the sick, by the way. Hey, in Micah verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, it says this. It says, no, old people, the Lord has told you what is good. So the Lord explained to you, here's what's good. This is what it requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But here's what I like about that. I like that if you go back up to verse 7, before that other, he asks this question. Should we offer him thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Should we do all these great things to prove that we're, we're sacrificing for sin? And then he goes to verse 8. Go back to verse 8. No, that's not, that's not what it is. That's not what the Lord desires from you. The Lord has told you, which means he's pretty serious about it, what is good. And this is what it requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy. To love mercy. When I love mercy, I walk in mercy. I embody mercy. To extend mercy. So it isn't the sacrifice that, that pleases the Lord. It isn't the sacrifice that the Lord um, is, is, is pleased with who we are and walking with him. It is this love of mercy that is counter to what our culture says. 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, listen, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not committing their sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. So this worldly point of view that he talks to, is, that he speaks to, is very clearly the worldly point of view that we live in currently. This lack of mercy, this lack of forgiveness, this lack of uh, giving people a second chance, if you will, third, 490th second chance. But he not only says to be merciful, he not only says that he wants us to extend mercy, he says he wants us to be messengers of or ministry of reconciliation, which means that I've got to walk it and I have to talk it. But listen to this, teach it. Teach the ministry of reconciliation. Live in the ministry of reconciliation. Become a people of reconciliation. Do you remember, anybody in the house remember checkbooks? <laughs> Somebody's like, I still got one. <laughs> you probably have a hard time getting somebody to take it. <laughs> but 
But remember in checkbooks, they had, you flip it up like this, and on the top side, they had this, uh, uh, the, the ledger, and on the bottom side, they had the checks. Yeah, my son's a CPA, and I'll tell you what that is later, son, these checks. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. So this, on the top side of this was the ledger, and you could flip the ledger down and had all these lines of different color, remember the different shadings of the ledgers, and you would write what the check was for, you'd write the amount and then you would, then, then you would uh, adjust the numbers over there. Well, at the end of the month, you got your bank statement that came in the mail. It, it literally came in the mail. It was about that thick if you wrote a lot of checks. And you would get that bank statement out, and then you would get your checkbook out, and you'd go very carefully line by line and make sure that this check that was written came back through and this number. Are you impressed, son, that I know all these things? So... Then at the end of the month, your goal at the end of the month was to get to zero. Because if you got to zero, that means all the numbers added up right, and it got to zero. So you reconciled your checkbook. You reconciled your checkbook at the end of the month, so it all came to zero. Do you see where I'm going? Do you see where I'm, I'm heading towards right here? That this idea of reconciling, the ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of pulling people back to you hear it? So not only are we to walk in this ministry of reconciliation, not only are we to, to allow that my relationships with people and what they've done wrong to me, I almost wish there was a big zero flashing behind me up here, <laughs> is, is we are to have this relationship with the world if they don't owe me anything. But then to teach that, to teach that ministry of reconciliation, to not only live in that, that at zero, that they don't owe me, I'm, that it's not my place to, to get some sort of uh, recompense for that, to some sort of getting that uh, back. That's not, the, that's not the way we live. And that is the way the world lives. So if we live this way, then we're counter to the world. And it looks different. C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven me the inexcusable. If I remember that I have done the inexcusable, then it is easier for me to forgive the inexcusable. You know, isn't, and, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because it almost, it's almost negative, but it, it seems as if as a church, when someone does something wrong, we're so quick to say, that's wrong, and he's wrong, and she's wrong, and that group's wrong, and this person who was one of us did it wrong, and they did it wrong, and they did it wrong. As an educator, I required all of our teachers to have a set of classroom rules. But the set of classroom rules couldn't say, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, because that's this negative concept. So if you have rules, how do you have rules? Well, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can. So it's this idea, we want to teach you what you do. We want to teach you what, how to be in the classroom, classroom etiquette. We want to teach us positive mindset. Well, I think what, is this, what I'm saying right here is jumping up every time and saying, he's wrong, he's, not, not, don't, don't hear me excusing sin. Don't hear me ever saying that sin is okay, but the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. But we spend a great deal of time against people. And who did Jesus say he came to save? The world. For God so loved the world. And not just the people who think like me. 
Not just the people who act like me, not just the people who do the things that I do, but he came to save the world, and that's all of them, me included. So, uh, in James 2.13, I want to say this before we move into the next little part, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Let that settle in for a moment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In fact, we just say that, mercy, I don't believe you. Will you say it again? Mercy. If you didn't hear anything I say today, will you just let that just rest in your soul and permeate your soul, your soul that mercy triumphs over judgment? And again, that's so counterculture. So we are called to show mercy to those who let us down personally. Well, mercy personally. And it's easy for me to forgive somebody who did something wrong to somebody else. <laughs> now, wait, you want me to forgive somebody who did me wrong? Yes, that's exactly what the Lord says. In fact, do you remember a time that the Bible describes where Jesus was on the cross and he's bleeding and he's been beaten and it's, things are, the Roman government, they were pretty good at causing pain to people. And he was in that spot. He was hanging on a cross. He was just about to die. The people at his feet, the men at his feet, you know what they were doing? They were gambling over his clothes. And you know what he said during that time? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So if I want to follow the example of, of Christ and I want to do what Christ has called me to do and I want to use his example in the midst of something being done personally to him, men had harmed him physically Men were disrespecting him in a way to gamble over his clothes. Yeah, I'll get him. No, I'll take him. He said, Father, forgive him because they don't know what they're doing. What if we sought to be like Christ in every way? What if we sought to be like Christ in a way that when somebody does me wrong personally, I say, Lord, forgive him because this battle's not flesh and blood. Colossians 3, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord gave you. So you're telling me to forgive somebody when they do something to me that's negative? I am. But what I'm telling you to do is the Lord says that this has to be intentional. The Lord says this isn't going to come natural to you. The Lord says the way that culture is built and with a sinful nature... The natural is going to be, I want justice. I want, and we hear that term all of the time. But listen, he says right here, go back up to the beginning of that. Clothe yourselves. In other words, when you get up in the morning, you have to do this. You have to make a decision that today, today, I'm going to clothe myself with this compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That today I'm going to make a choice to do that. It doesn't come natural. So, all right, I'm just going to be like, God. Oh, no, no, no. You have to make a choice for that. We have to make a decision for that. I have to put this on. When I get clothes, I get, get dressed in the morning, I go into my closet, and I get out the same colors, right, hon? Say every time. And I get these colors, and I put it on. I put it on. It's a choice of something that I put on. So each day that I'm making a decision to have compassion, I'm making a decision to have kindness, I'm making a decision to be humble, I'm making a decision to be gentle, and I'm making a decision to be patient. So even in the midst of somebody doing me wrong, 
I'm making that decision. Max Lucado, if you haven't read his stuff, he's, he's, he's so descriptive in his terminology. He's so good at just helping you to see things through his words. But he said this. He says, unfaithfulness is wrong. Revenge is worse, but the worst part of all is that without forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. Now, leave this here just for a second, Yvette, please. That this means unfaithfulness is wrong, so someone's done me wrong. So this unfaithfulness means, yes, somebody has done me wrong. Someone's been unfaithful in some way to me. It says, yeah, you're right. That is, you are correct in saying that is wrong. But then he goes a step further to say that what's worse than somebody doing me wrong is me trying to have revenge on them for what they did wrong to me. So that's even worse. So yeah, it's wrong that somebody did you wrong, but it's even worse that you that I try to get revenge for something that somebody did wrong. But then he goes even to the, the worstest, the worster. That he says, without forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. So when I choose not to forgive, when I choose to get revenge, when I choose not to extend mercy, then this is what's in me. So yeah, it was, it was wrong. And they shouldn't have done that. But revenge makes it worse. Choosing not to forgive and choosing not to extend mercy. It just leaves bitterness in you. So what the Lord is saying right here, and that passage back in Blessed Are the Merciful, what he's saying, go back one please, Yvette, that what, he, what, what Max Lucado is talking about right here, that the blessing isn't for the person who did wrong by extending mercy. The blessing is for those who were done wrong. Blessed are those who are merciful, giving out mercy. Number two, this says we're called to show mercy to those who are far from God. Now, I don't, I don't have a lot of time to spend here, but I do want to say this. Many years ago, my car was stolen. And the way, it's, it's a long story, and we don't have time for the entire story, but nonetheless, got my car back. And it was purple. <laughs> I'm not kidding, right? And if I think I saw a picture of it. But when I got my car back, they had painted it purple. And I said in the first service, so Tammy over here, she would like it purple, but I don't. And so I give my car back, and it was purple. They caught the, the individuals, the couple who had stolen my car from the church parking lot, by the way. And they get the, this couple out of the car, and they, they ask me, well, what do you want to do? And my first thought was, It's purple. What am I going to do with a purple car? But the Lord spoke to me just so definitive as if I could hear his voice in that moment, looking this young couple in the eye and said, haven't you done worse than that? And a whole lot. And in that moment, with the cop looking at me like I was out of my mind, I said, just let him go. So there's a whole, there's another extension of that that comes with the Lord doing some crazy stuff with this purple car down the road. But the Lord spoke to me very clearly in that, let them go, they're far from God. In the conversation, standing right there with this young couple, and the young lady was crying and she was scared and the guy was bowed up because that's what us men do when we get scared, we bow up, you know. The Lord asked me to extend mercy. And I said to him in that moment, and I could see it like it was yesterday, and I said, all right, I'm gonna let you go, but next week I want you at church. And I told him the church I was going to at the time. I want you at church. I want you to be at church. And I'm, I'm letting you go, but I want you at church. Well, I'd like to tell you a great long story about how they got saved and all this. They didn't come. But you know, 
That wasn't my part. You know, it wasn't my part to hold them accountable to what I felt like the Lord asked me to do with them. And who knows? Who knows how who, maybe that harvest has been reaped at some point? Maybe. But if not, the Lord said, blessed are the merciful. So the Lord asked me to extend mercy. And the Lord blessed me in some crazy ways. If you want to hear that story, get with me, and I'll tell you that story at some point. But for those who are far from God, the Lord says, extend mercy. Finally, the last one, and I want to wrap it up with this, that we're called to show mercy to ourselves. Now, we talked a whole lot about extending mercy. We talked a whole lot about giving mercy to others. If we're not able to give mercy, will you just allow me to just just suggest that maybe it's because you haven't given mercy to yourself. Maybe it's because you haven't received and accepted the mercy that the Lord has extended to you, to me. David in the, in the Bible, you know, David, a man after God's own heart, did some crazy things, y'all, that, that the Lord wasn't pleased with. And he said this in, in Psalms 38. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester. They're loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low all day long. I go about mourning. My back is full of searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed, and I groan in anguish of heart. You ever felt like that? David understood it. David felt that way. But David walked and gave it to the Lord and said, Lord, I know me. I know how it feels, but I'm going to walk in your mercy. So can I just simply say this to you? The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you where you're at. The Lord doesn't love you more when you act a certain way. The Lord doesn't love you less when you act a certain way. And that's contrary to what seemingly is being preached. Not here but the Lord loves you just like you are. Now, he doesn't love what's going on with you because he knows it hurts you. When we do things that are outside of his will, it breaks the Lord's heart because he loves us and he doesn't want us to be outside of his will because it's bad for us, not because it's bad for him, because it's bad for us. First Timothy, Paul says to young Timothy, even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and violent man, I was shown mercy. He says, because I acted in ignorance, unbelief, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, I was, I was, not, a bad, I was not a good guy. It's New Testament. Paul says to Timothy, I wasn't a good guy. I did stupid things. I fought against the church, but the grace and mercy of God was poured out on me. I would suggest, as we talk around here a whole lot about that hurt people hurt people. We say that phrase a lot around here. But I will say this, forgiven people that understand forgiveness, they forgive people. And people who have accepted the mercy of God and people who have accepted the mercy of God in themselves I would suggest extend mercy to others. So, as you consider these things, 
as you consider this idea of mercy, as you consider where you're at related to extending mercy, I'm going to ask you, start right here. I'm going to ask you to consider your life, just like Paul said, knowing your past. Knowing that at times you weren't a good guy or a good girl. That you've stepped into the mercy of God. You step into the mercy of God. And you start to sense and, and just be thankful to God for who he is in you. And the way that he's forgiven you. How far he brought you. Where you were that people are far from God and that's who he's reaching out for mercy. There's another passage we didn't have time to get through here where Jesus is, is, is really crowded or chastised about his choice of people that surrounded him. He's having dinner and he's got these tax collectors, these prostitutes around him. And they go, why are you hang out with people like that? And you know what he said? He said, because the sick need a hospital, not the well. And so back to that thing, if we are a hospital and the sick come here and the sick can sit on the pew with those of us who are, who are walking with the Lord, understanding mercy, accepted mercy, and then extending mercy. Will you just ask yourself that question? Will you ask yourself first, do I, do I get that? I'd love to talk to you more about that. We'll have a prayer team up here in just a minute and they would love to talk with you more about that help you to understand what that means, show you scripturally what the Lord says related to mercy. But if you do, if you get that, then I'm gonna ask you to remember from how far you came. We walk with the Lord, we keep walking with the Lord, we, start, we tend to forget from how far we've come. But I'm gonna ask you to remember that. And I'm gonna ask you that when, when, as you think about this, and I don't know about you, but as I did this and prepared for this over the past probably six weeks or so since the pastor invited me to communicate, lots of faces came to mind. Lots of situations came to mind. And I hope that today, as, as I've taken just a few minutes of your time to, to explain these things to you, I hope some faces came to mind. And I hope some situations came to mind. But as they did, I'm going to invite you to extend the same mercy that the Lord extended to you not for them, I don't like them, okay, but for you, for me. As we extend the mercy to them, the bitterness in us goes away, the bitterness in us is released. Let's pray, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that in your word, you don't expect us to figure it out by ourselves. Lord, thank you that first, God, we give you just such gratitude, Lord, that you've forgiven us that you've given us mercy, Lord, and we didn't deserve it. You've given us mercy, Lord, when we, when we were blasphemers, when we were angry men and women, when we were just, our, our soul was crushed. We thank you, Lord. But Lord, will you just remind us as we see people that it's not a spiritual, it's not a, a physical battle, it's not a, a people battle, it's a spiritual battle. Or will you just remind us to see people as you see people Lord, will you just remind us that every person that we feel has done us wrong is someone that you love and you died to save. Lord, help us to see people like you see people. Lord, help us to forgive like you forgive, that we might be pleasing to you, God, that we might walk in your will, that we might truly find the path that you have for us. 
We love you, Lord. Lord, give us the faith. Rise our faith up in us that we can do this because we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.